welcome back to Masters of Modern. I am your host, Alex Kessler, here with my co-hosts, Michael Grothy and Marshall James. Welcome, welcome, Michael and Marshall. The double M. The real MM cast right here. Mm, mm, I, I don't know what that Kess and Ben duo is about. The people are raving for more Mike and Marsh. Mike and Marsh. <laughs> I'm the cat part of cast. <laughs> oh, gotcha. And then, and then, and then. Does that make Ben the ass? <laughs> <laughs> Gonna go with that. That sounds great. I'm fine with all of these, uh, of these rules. Uh, so, uh, Welcome to Masters of Modern. We are a podcast and uh, YouTube show that talks about magic and modern and everything else. Today we are talking about the uh, recent uh, corset uh, Magic 21 is being uh, previewed as we speak. In fact, on uh, Monday following this episode, which the date is the 15th, I believe. Maybe the 16th. Uh, on Monday the 15th. Uh, we will have our preview card episode going up on YouTube. We have a cool, awesome preview card. It is uh, given to us free by Wizards. Um, I think it's probably the best one we've had in a while. So I'm, I'm really stoked for you guys it's, to see it's it. It's pretty spicy. I'm excited. Uh, uh, I'm definitely, definitely excited. It's a to new show you guys. card. It is a new card. New card. Very new exciting. Card. Very exciting. Excuse me. Um, and then... Um, but for today's episode, we're going to be talking about uh, M21, going over kind of all the cards, probably chronologically with how uh, in how they've been released and previewed. That way, we can make sure we don't forget any in the past. Um, and I, I mean, just just on a, a, a top one level, it's really exciting. There's a lot of really cool stuff in it. We're finally starting to see white get a lot more tools, um, just to like kind of the the what felt like they were doing with red. Five years ago, they're now finally kind of getting to what white between the command um, commander product for Ikoria and now stuff like Megara, Mangara. Um, we're just getting a lot of cool stuff there. Just there's a lot of really flavorful cards, some really powerful reprints, um, some expensive reprints, uh, and and it's definitely turning out to be one of definitely one of the more exciting. Um, of course, that's phasing's back. Who would have thought? <laughs> I'm I'm super thrilled, but I mean I think. I think phasing is back. I I feel like phasing is back because of arena. If we hadn't had arena, phasing is too complicated to write out and explain on paper. I think that was always their argument. But phasing, outside of a rules context, you can explain to somebody what phasing means uh, in plain language or in like coding. They can just code like, oh yeah, this this card will gray it out. I think I think I think the fact that a they they've they lean, started leaning more towards more colloquial reminder text like the reminder text no longer has to be the exact rules of it they're like more like just verbal walking through to make it easier to understand um, I think they tested the water with um, Teferi's response Teferi's response right that's what the card's name protection is. Teferi's protection uh, and the command said it's been such a popular card and no one's really had a problem with the rules mechanic I think that. Um, something they also said is that a thing that they want in white is the ability to protect permanence in the way that blinking normally does. Um, but blinking has so much a card advantage wrapped into it that it ends up very difficult for them to be able to balance it on those types of cards. And just straight up phasing allows them to push those type of protection effects without having to worry about someone like using a one mana creature to blink Kitchen Finks or uh, Blade Splicer or, you know, something more powerful. So I think that, I think all those things all wrapped in one have made it, and they it's deciduous, right? It's it's not evergreen, but it's not, like, it's not the returning 
non-evergreen keyword to the set, they now have access to the word phasing whenever they want, similar to how hybrid mana um, is used or vehicles are used. So maybe I missed an announcement or something. We've we've literally seen phases out, the phrase phases out on two cards, and they're both Teferi. One of them is an intradeck Planeswalker, admittedly, so they expect new players to be exposed to it. But unless there's an announcement I missed, I feel like phasing being evergreen... It's not evergreen. It's deciduous, though. Aggressive. We got it on like a com- one commander card that references Teferi, and now two Teferi cards. It's just like a Teferi thing that Teferi does for like well, flavor I, more than anything. I mean, I think Mike is right here. And I think there's a difference between the mechanic phasing, which I don't think is back. I don't think we're going to see any cards with phasing printed on them because it's such a feel bad mechanic. Uh, because you cast a card with phasing. If it's a creature, you have to wait until it's done with summoning sickness and it comes around to your turn. It immediately phases out, so you don't get it that turn either. So you have to wait a whole other turn before you get to use a phasing creature. But phasing permanence out flavorfully makes sense without, as you just pointed out, dealing with leaves the battlefield and enter the battlefield triggers and can be used both defensively as we saw with Teferi's Protection, and offensively with Teferi, Master of Time. And so I think we might see deciduously phases out as a, this is a blink, but not really. Um, yeah, yeah, I think- but I don't think we're going to see phasing come back. And, and I, I think it's from Morrow's Tumblr, but I might be wrong, that he said that this is now a tool that they're allowed to put into sets in a limited supply. Not something that they're planning on being evergreen, not but something that if a set needs it, they're allowed to use it. And, and not in the same way where, like, there are mechanics that they can't do that with, like Landfall, for instance, without it being a feature of that set. They can change the rules on a card for it, but they've they've made, from what we have been told, phasing is something that's available in the tool chest, just not something that's, like, evergreen. It's not going to be in every set, but it's also can return without it being a major feature of marketing for that set as well. So, Teferi, yeah. he is the face of the set. Um, Teferi, Master of Time, two blue blue, legendary Planeswalker Teferi, comes in at three loyalty. You may activate loyalty abilities of Teferi, Master of Time, on any player's turn, anytime you can cast an instant. Plus one, draw a card, then discard a card. Minus three, target creature you don't control phases out. M- minus ten, take two extra turns after this one. Um, so, in... 1v1 games, ostensibly, this is plus two, draw a card, draw two card, discard two cards. Or draw a card, discard a card, draw a card, discard a card. Or plus one, draw a card, discard a card. My, or I guess it's it's minus two, draw a card, discard a card phase. Or, and then, or, or any kind of version of those combos, right? So it's interesting that you can do it on both players' turn. You do get the, you do get to play it on your turn and their turn. So it, your turns are included. In multiplayer, yeah. it's a whole different bucket of bolts where the fact that you can play it on every player you're facing, so you get four draw a card, discard a card triggers, and he ultimates by the time you get to your second turn with him in play, he'll be able to ultimate. If you wait till your turn, it'll it'll survive. If you don't wait till your turn to ultimate, you can just take two, two extra turns in the middle of other people's turns. Yeah. I mean, I, I think this is pretty cool. I like that in non-commander formats, I do appreciate they can come down, you loot with it right away, and then you can defensively phase someone out 
on their turn, so they can't necessarily crack back into Teferi. Um, but it's also cool that if you stick him and they don't have a threat you have to deal with, then he's starting to... He feels almost a little bit like um, while he's drawing cards, he's sort of like Jite, because you're piling up removal spells you get to use later mm-hmm. if if they don't pressure it. Um, and if you pile up enough of those removal spells, you get to take two extra turns after this one, which I guess it's almost as if his minus 10 is more like a minus seven. Cause if he's not messed with and you're constantly plussing like for a normal planeswalker. So it's three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, And then on their turn, you would ultimate killing him. So it's right. like four turns. And, they, later, and then you get yeah. to take three turns in a row. Yeah, yeah. Which, if you don't win with taking three turns in a the row, then what's your deck doing? Playing Teferi and phasing people out. So, so I guess my thoughts on this card are it's fine. I don't think this is better than Jace. I like in, mo- in modern, right? I don't think this is better than the other Teferis. I don't know if this is better than Gideon. I don't think that this is playable in standard, unfortunately. I think it's very cool and flashy. The static ability is very cool and flashy, but its abilities don't do anything. He never gives you card advantage, and he never affects the board. Phasing is just like, your guy can't attack me for one turn, and minus three for phasing is, like, brutal. I mean, like, a lot of Planeswalkers are getting, like, especially four mana Planeswalkers are getting, like, plus one make a dude, or, like, you know, plus one kill something. Not, I mean, maybe minus two kill something. But, like, minus three, your guy can't attack me for one turn. Like, this strikes me as an annoying multiplayer commander, where it ticks up super fast, and then you take a bunch of extra turns, and everybody hates you in in your commander game or whatever. But it doesn't strike me as, like, a... One versus one constructed playable card. I think I think the as a discard outlet in standard, if you're looking for ways to officially get stuff into your graveyard, but also draws you cards. Like is this four mana? Sure, but it also does the other planeswalker things. It's not like it's not going to two extra turns or doing all those things. But yes, I, I agree that this seems much more of a commander focused excitement like- card. Then compare it to Royal Scions, for example. I mean, it's an extra color, but it, it, Royal Scions costs one less. It's got the same plus one. It well, has another no. plus one that's relevant, and it's it ultimates. I guess a little no, it ultimates faster because it starts at it, six loyalty. It pluses to six. It doesn't have the same. Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't have the same. It doesn't have the same plus one though, right? Because this is draw two cards, discard two cards. That's different than draw a card, discard a card. It's better than that, too, because you get to draw the second card on your opponent's end step to, like, know what have you want to do. Information. But it's just you're paying an extra mana for that. I don't sure. think it's worth it. Okay. Uh, I don't know. I, I do think it's wild that I think, Mike, I think your argument about Teferi is good. And at the same time, Teferi is now, and this might be a first. There are nine different versions of this Teferi you can own. Oh, 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 like, yes. Uh, every every magic person who uh, on Twitter who had either ever had a job working as a person who has to sort cards or currently manages, like, the S- the people in, at SAG, like, physically were hurt when they revealed how many versions of this card are going to exist, especially the the main version, that there are four different versions, but the artwork is all, like... And they're all roughly the same. Yeah. I think that's what struck me is they're like, we tried to show like, 
Teferi phasing through time. But if you look at the, I was expecting drastically different scenes a la, you know, famously like Mishra's factory had four different arts and they were in four different seasons. And those were cool because you can see it progress. I thought that's what we would see in the background is like, you know, four different planes. Like he's going to, you see Ravnik in the background of Warren and Dominaria in the background, but they're, the background's just blurry stuff they in just every did, like, single a few, art. A few saturation change on Photoshop. They just like slid the slider over a little bit and then that's card number two. Card number three. <laughs> card number four. Exactly. <laughs> And they'll probably refer to them this way also. They'd be like, all right, do you want Teferi with the clear blue rings, the dark blue rings, well, the violet rings, or the indigo rings? So, so Wait, they, which border do you want on your indigo rings? Right. Did, do you want the special premium border, or do you want the regular border? So they did listen to the complaints from the Crypto Command in Unglued, uh, where there was like six different versions of it. Each Teferi art has a different number. So it's Teferi, number 257, 256, 255. They, they're all different numbers. Oh, okay. So, so that is the smartest thing you could do with this otherwise disappointing execution on an idea. They, they learned the life, like, like Star City Games, I think, officially complained to Wizards after un, Unstable, saying, like, you are making this very difficult for us to be able to do this. <laughs> Please fix that. And then Wizards apparently listened. Uh, all right, so I'm going to go to the next card because we're, I guess we're only 10 minutes into this, but want to kind of keep moving. There's a lot of cards here. Mongera the Diplomat. Oh, God, I clicked on it. Uh, three white legendary creature, human cleric, lifelink. Whenever an opponent attacks with creatures, if two or more of those creatures are attacking you and or planeswalkers you control, draw a card. Whenever an opponent casts their second spell each turn, draw a card. So it, it this is really cool because it's, it's like wizards declaring white card draw in the type of design space they think it belongs in. Um, basically saying anytime a card would say don't do this or there's a mana tax, like like a, a, something that they would make it so it costs more expensive to do something. They're saying draw a card can be a similar negative uh, applied to that player. So rule of law effect we see here. Um, and kind of ghostly prison, like both of those effects are kind of attached to a card, but instead of having to pay mana or not being able to play a second spell every turn, you that you get the draw card. I mean, I don't, I, I wouldn't say that draw a card directly replaces tax or cannot in this instance. Like if this this card would never say like rule of law only for your opponent, and also they can attack with two or more creatures uh, with this. No, no, like, no. I mean, this it's more aggressively costed because they recognize the draw card is worse. Than yes, that. yeah, yeah, yeah. But but the, what they what they said was the way that they're applying white card draw moving forward is that if there is a car, if there is an ability where if within white's color black currently they can do something that prevents their opponent from doing something, what instead of just straight up preventing, they could just make the negative effect be draw a card. That player gets to draw a card. So like an example, this was in green, literally last core set, right? There's the dinosaur. It's like a 2-5 that if something taps for a non-mana ability, you draw a card. Yeah, that was a green card. Though. Yes, no, no, I, I the Armistore. I'm saying that wasn't green. And so that that's something that I think they would say is more of a white ability moving forward. Yeah, I mean, I, I, like, I, I would love to see one that was more 
competitive focus than this one. This one strikes me as like a commander card. I do recognize that it's pretty good against aggro decks and standard probably, but I don't know if it's good enough against aggro decks and standard to make it like a main deck inclusion as like a creature that just sits and maybe does nothing. But uh, I think it's, it's, it's pretty it's specifically costed. And like the fact that it's a two four is important, right? The fact that it has lifelink is important. I, I do think it's yeah. like meant to be a plant against those type of aggressive strategies. And then obviously in multiplayer, this is just a great card. Um, I mean, I guess my problem with standard is that I think standard aggro decks are going to continue being defined by Embercleave unless there's like drastic changes in Zendikar. So like this card doesn't do that much against Embercleave. Like I guess you draw a card before you die and gain two life. <laughs> Right. But I don't know. I mean, like, if there's like a mono white aggro deck using like venerated Loxodon and a bunch of the like aggressive white creatures in the set, maybe uh, this is really good against that. But I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, no, it I doesn't strike me as a modern card, though. More specifically, sure. I, I I don't disagree with that. Vidu Thorn of the Dusk Rose, two and a black legendary creature, vampire cleric, one three. Whenever you gain life, target opponent loses that much life. Three black black uh, colon uh, creatures you control gain lifelink until end of turn. Um, so this goes infinite with an enchantment. Which one? I forget. Exquisite blood. Exquisite blood. Okay. There is an enchantment sanguine yeah. bond. It is a five mana enchantment. There's also Viscopa Guildmage, which is a two mana creature with a three mana activation. Got it. Got it. So this is better yeah. than Viscopa Guildmage because it's just a three mana investment and it sits on the battlefield. You don't have to like invest two mana and then three mana the turn you're going off or two mana and then three mana later like the three mana investment is just a one time here's my dude right and and this is a card that has lord-esque effects with anything like now everything that has lifelink basically has double strike right like it, it kind of offers that extra bonus of damage and there are a lot of vampires that have incidental life gain abilities like blood artist or anything. So being able to just like have that in that type of deck or strategy and gain that advantage and then also have like on the top end, the ability just like, Oh, whoops, I win. I... Yeah. It's awkward because we haven't seen an exquisite blood creature yet. We've seen multiple sanguine bond creatures. So if like Viscopa guild mage was already a creature and a vampire, which is relevant. And then this was like a vampire that had exquisite bloods ability. And that'd be a lot more interesting. Cause now your vampire tribal deck just has like creatures you want to play that also have the ability, but exquisite blood is like pretty bad. I think if you don't have this out, right, right. Like I think you would so, want to be in a deck that's already playing multiple of these, and then have a way to find one copy of it, like almost like a wish vampire that can get it from your sideboard. Even needs to exist. Yeah, yeah. but it's cool. I mean, it's a black deck, so like maybe there are tutors, or like there could be a Speaking tutor stapled onto a vampire or something. That is. I, I, I don't know. I think we need to see an exquisite blood creature, which if they printed it, it would definitely be a vampire. It's like a very vampire yeah. ability. The art has a vampire on it. Uh, but if we do see a vampire with that ability, even if it costs five, I think that is like something to look at, especially with like Soren, uh, the three mana Soren that can put a vampire in early. That would be like amazing. Yeah. You like play this guy on three, you play Soren on four, put it in, and then you win. Or, like, Soren can tick up and generate value, and then, like, later, just like, bah, I right. play them both in the same turn, gotcha. Um, next on the list, speaking of tutors, Black Black 1, Grim Tutor, Sorcery, search your library for a card, put that card into your hand, then shuffle your library, you lose three life. 
So this was a $200 card before this was being reprinted? Is that correct? Yes. That's an it only It had only been printed in the Starter 1999 set, which was basically like Portal or any of their other attempts to make a Just for Newbies set. Got it. And so they, for some reason, they're like, uh, okay, in the Just for Newbies set, we'll put this variant on Demonic Tutor that we're not going to print anywhere else. And so it it was a 200, it was one of these cards like Imperial Recruiter that was more valuable because of its extreme scarcity right, than right. necessarily because people were chomping at the bit for another Demonic Tutor. Not that this is a bad card, but it was its value was mostly because it was such a collector's oddity. It's why like so many of the Portal Three Kingdoms cards or like Legends were super expensive, but then they reprint it and it's like worth a dollar. It's because the card's not good. It's just only seven people ever had the opportunity to buy it <laughs> retail. Right. So it's just on a right. round. Um, that seven people is an exaggeration world. But yeah, um, I don't think that we were talking about this earlier. This is a card I think that is cool, but already three mana, like two mana tutors that can get you a, a specific card type don't see play. Like the only tutors I really can think of that are seeing any significant play in modern are free the turn you cast them. And so you can put the thing you get with them into play that turn, both of them finding primeval Titan generally. <laughs> um, and I just don't of calling or like word of invention. But those yeah, are I think, I think yeah. court of calling word of invention, Eladomri's call and summoners pact. Like, oh, and I guess a uh, finale of devastation, but so, they, but like a lot of those put them directly into play too. So right. like, they, part of the mana cost is in casting them. Yeah. So like this is three mana. This is, I guess, closest to war of invention, right? Like that from a, from a, like you don't get to put the spell into play for free, but you also don't have the X cost. So you can get any card you want. And then, um, but this is a sorcery. So I mean, I think this is interesting because it's like the strongest unconditional tutor that we have in modern and one of the strongest unconditional tutors ever printed. I mean, it's like Vampiric Tutor, Imperial Seal, Demonic Tutor, and then this, right? Like this is probably fourth in in line, which is the reason that previously it's been played in Commander because you can play it in Commander. You only get one of all those other cards Mm -hmm. and Imperial Seal is just as expensive. So like... (laughs) So um, so would you say this is more And Imperial Seal doesn't give it to you the turn you play it either. Like you have right. to then use some sort of card draw if you want to use it that turn. Would you say so? You would say this is more powerful than the spell mastery, uh, demonic, the one that like dark petition. Dark petition? Um, yes, I. So dark petition is good if you are using it immediately and you can use the three mana. Like dark petition, even if you play it on turn five, so it's like actually two mana, you get three black. So you have to spend that black on a black card. Mm-hmm. This can get or you right on turn six, and now it's like getting clunkier. But this card, you can just tap out on turn three, get your combo piece combo on turn four, the- sure. theoretically, right? I mean, like, or get your devastating sideboard card, right? So that's the other thing is because it's unconditional. Even if you're like, you know, Eladomri's call, for example, limits you to creatures, so you can't find a rest in peace with your Eladomri's call. So you have to sideboard accordingly. You're siding boarding in like Scamjingus or something, but that's not the best graveyard hate you could possibly get. This card can always find the best card you can ever get. So even if you're like, say, ad nauseum or whatever, and you're always going to be searching for an instant because you want Angel's Grace or ad nauseum, like you can still sideboard into Rest in Peace or you can sideboard into, um, you know, a creature. Like you can just have creatures to beat them up or something. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> but you could, you could get anything with this. 
So it, even though, like, if this just said instant, it would be significantly worse, even though 90% of the time you're grabbing an instant because you can get whatever. You can get Phyrexian Unlife if that's what you need. I mean, I like, I would definitely tap out on turn three and play three life to get a rest in peace against Dredge. Like that, you know? Sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I agree that I think it's not good enough, but it is something to keep an eye on because it is the best unconditional tutor that we have. And it's like... And and variety is is to be spoken towards, I I guess, where, right? Where, like, you have... if Since every other tutor, for the most part, finds a specific thing, you can't have a sideboard uh, package that is, like, the best of everything, right? You can't do Rest in Peace and Ancient Grudge and, and Rule of Law, and, you know, you have to pick, like, generally a specific silo, and on top of that, generally... The best ones, which are enchantments, the are worse sideboard cards. So the fact that this can like find a good enchantment while also also like finding you the removal spell you might need, be a lightning bolt or whatever on turn four, is is relevant. Um, well, I think this might also be more significant for Pioneer because Pioneer like Dark Petition sees some play in various black green mid range decks and that sort of thing, like especially at the seasons past control like rock style decks. Um, and obviously part of that is because of the mana refund you get when you cast it. Um, but because Pioneer is generally, a, you know, a turn or two slower than modern, I feel like a three mana generic tutor could be fast enough there where it isn't in modern. Yeah. And, and I mean, like I, you, what you said about grabbing removal is like super relevant. I, I haven't played like a lot of vintage and I don't typically play combo decks in commander, but in cube, I've played a ton of combo decks where I have demonic tutor in my deck because I'm looking for, you know, reanimate or whatever, or I'm looking for Greasel Brand so I can discard it. But then a lot of the time I'm just like, oh, well, you know, I'm actually just going to grab Phyrexian Arena because my opponent is trying to like counter all my spells, but they tapped out. So I'm just going to grab this, play it. I'm going to get a bunch of card advantage. I'm going to win that way. Or, you know, oh, I'm getting beaten up by Mono Red. I'm just going to use this demonic tutor to search for a fatal push and I'm going to push their guy or whatever. Like the flexibility of an unconditional tutor like can't be understated, I think. Yeah, and, um, and so much power level in the format is at one mana. Because typically you do see these siloed decks in modern, but that's just because of the tutors that are available. And, and like, even out of Jund, Bloodbraid Elving into this is not a sad day, right? Like, like getting this... I mean, like, I'm not wanting to do that, but, like, that's... The fact that I can play this to find sideboard cards that I need to find, and then also there are many ways that I could get it cast without having to tap out, or I can get to the late game and be able to play this and a spell I need to be able to stop my opponent from doing something is relevant. Um, yeah. Now before uh, there's some reprint conversation I have. The first one is just three previously pretty expensive cards that are being reprinted into standard. Uh, Ugin, Azusa and ruined halo. Um, of the first ones, unfortunately, Ruined Halo tanked when it was in Ultimate Masters. Oh, it was in Ultimate Masters. Okay, okay. So Ruined uh, Halo is not an expensive I reprint. Same but... thing until I looked it up. Actually, got it was it. on my list, and then I took it off. Got it. Got it. I mean, this is a relevant sideboard card. Oh god. Okay, we're good. Uh, empty can of drink was not spilled everywhere because um, it was empty. But it is. It is. You know, more copies of this being available is not a bad thing. It does make sure if it does start seeing a lot of play, it doesn't get more expensive. This is a card that was expensive, though, similar reasons. It was a Lorrowing card, so a set criminally underopened. So just cards from that set that are very good are very expensive until they're reprinted. But Azusa and Ugin are both like 
arguably format staples. Ugin outside of just modern, like it's an important piece of Tron, but it's also like one of the best colorless cards in Commander, probably. Like most decks. And Pioneer. And Pioneer. It's a big end card for Pioneer ramp decks. Yep. Um, and and does Tron still play an Ugin or two also? Yeah. They have not printed a card that is out Ugin Ugin. Just like, I destroy everything. All those things in play are gone because I exist. And stick around and kill you. And oh yeah, and I'm going to bolt you to the face every turn moving forward. Um, and then Azusa, they, they really want you to be able to put extra lands into play. Uh, is, is, I think it's interesting. It's like a weird, they've decided they don't like, like rampant growth as much as they like explore it feels like almost right they don't want you to get card advantage off of your ramp right so there's like is, I think. put more stuff into play which is fine i guess other than the fact that uro is such a powerhouse i don't necessarily disagree with that thought process i mean growth spiral is basically rampant growth that's not dead in the late game i'm not sure how you can be wizards and be like oh well rampant growth that's too good but growth spiral that used to that's two colors. You gotta play blue green, which is classically terrible, so I, not an issue. I think the Ugin reprint is pretty interesting because I think that that card actually is a big barrier to entry for Tron, and even more so like certain variants of Tron that are playing Ugin. Like I would expect that because of this reprint, like you will see more Tron, and specifically you'll see more Tron that contains Ugin. Because I feel like a lot of people like Tron is a fairly budget deck, but maybe you don't have your Ugins yet. You bought Karns instead because they're more important. Or maybe are playing like Eldrazi Tron so that you don't need that stuff or maybe you're playing Blue Tron um, and I think that like at the local FNM level and even at like the Magic Online level the fact that Ugins are just going to be like so much more available it is probably going to affect your local meta in the way that like a new Tron card would <laughs> and and I even like like Azusa wasn't the worst offender of cards that are expensive in all of the Primeval Titan decks, basically, right? But she wasn't a cheap option. She was definitely a card that wasn't the easiest to get a hold of. And once all the standard players' collections rotate out and they either want to take their Uros and play them somewhere else or Uros become more available, she would have become much more of a choke point. Um, yeah, she was she was a $32 card before she, it was announced that she was right. and in the like, set. And they reprinted Scapeshift, right, last year. So, like, those are two pretty significant, like, getting lands in the play mattered cards that, like, are now much less expensive. So, like, Primeval Titan, which had been pretty reprinted, plus there was a GP promo, so its price is also artificially lower than it would be based on how much play it's seeing. That deck is consistently or decks of that style consistently keep getting cards printed that make them less expensive, and Uro now being a big pigeonhole, but that's a standard card. So eventually that rotates, and every person who needs it for standard doesn't need it. Um, so that it, it's, it's, it's interesting how that, that deck just in general is getting less expensive. Um, now, on to a slightly different conversation. Cards that were not in, but are being reprinted. Continuing that, uh, uh, Fierce Empath. So this is two green for a 1-1 one, one elf. Uh, when Fierce Empath enters the battlefield, you may search your library for a creature card with converted mana cost six or greater, reveal it, put it into your hand, then shuffle your library. Um, I was not even sure this wasn't in modern when this was shown, and then looked it up and Same. was like, oh yeah, okay, this doesn't exist. Um, what's interesting, there's a few things that are interesting to me this card, right? It, it, it has the ability to block the turn you waste tutoring for a creature that a lot of other tutors that you would have to tap out for that type of effect do. Finds Primeval Titan, which is always a relevant effect. Um, it also in elf decks, cause it is an elf finds your crater hoofs or your other kind of end game winning conditions without having to like play spell tutors, 
being able to be hit with collected company so you can play more tutor effects less less spells and be able to cocoa into this um and then the other thing to pay attention to is just there's just like other like random creature combo pieces that are out there that this could be a piece to find that are expensive so that you can get those pieces later in late games thoughts i don't love it it's fine i mean i don't want to play it in a deck like i i think that there's like you said that there's better ways to find specifically from evil titan if that's all you're looking for uh and i don't yeah. think that it's like a super great toolbox card because like the card you're getting has to be so expensive you can't just like go grab something cheap to like try and beat an aggro deck mm-hmm. and you can't like grab sideboard cards off of it because what six mana sideboard cards are you boarding in i don't know I-, I think it's not very flexible it pretty much is in your deck to get one particular card and there are better ways to do that in modern uh it's cool though it, um, it is a card in the fact yeah, that I think now. that's the reason why I was surprised that it wasn't in modern because it feels like a card that's like neat, but I don't think it it's feel felt modern playable. So when you told me it was new to modern, I was like, oh, I assumed it's just been around and not good enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, next card, containment priest. Uh, this is a heater. We've been wanting this in the format since. I don't think it's good enough. No, no, no way. <laughs> wow. Michael's grumpy today. <laughs> Mike, Mike just is going to poop on all the cards today. Uh, two, two, one. And uh, for those who don't know what Containment Priest does, it's one and a white uh, human cleric for a two, two flash. If a non-token creature would enter the battlefield and it wasn't cast, exile it instead. Um, so this is classically the best, one of the best hate cards ever printed against cheating stuff into play strategies, if not the best one of that type of card. But this includes graveyards, this includes uh, any type of, like, cascade shenanigans, this includes from exile, this includes from your library, so, like, like uh, the aforementioned using, uh, what's it called, Court of Calling, this just stops that in its tracks. Um, collected Company. Collected Company, and it's a flash 2-2. It just it's like a pretty efficient body and threat and you can just leave it up in and get them the first time and then from that point on they can't do anything about it. There this is in play. And, yeah. yeah, and it and it also just happens to be in modern's best creature type. Yes. Uh, yeah, it's interesting. Or I guess most at least most relevant creature type. Some of the decks that want to play this like like a humans or elves or you know, the creature toolbox decks kind of, uh, are often playing Either Court of Calling, Collected Company, or Aether Vial, which this hoses all of those. Um, it's probably worth it, especially if you're an Aether Vial deck, depending on what your opponent is doing. But, like, if you're Spirits or something and you have, like, Collected Companies in your deck, like, is this something that is good enough? Like, are you boarding out your Collected Companies for this? Or are you not playing Collected Company because of it? Depends on the metagame, right? Like, if Grishel brand decks start doing really well again, maybe um neoform decks yeah. start picking up again maybe like it depends on what your bad matchups are for those decks and if those bad matchups are popular enough that this is an effect that you need to stop them i also think decks like just blue white control decks or stone blade decks can take advantage of this card just from the perspective it's a flash 2-2 like that on its own synergizes with the fact that they don't like tapping out and then it's just a good hate card against a lot of strategies that they could use hate cards against yeah it's a little more flexible than just a piece of grave hate. Uh, but like, yeah, I mean, a lot of the time in legacy, you're seeing this as like a hate against 
show and tell and reanimator and dredge and like you know other shenanigans like tin fins or whatever random legacy type garbage um <laughs> you and in modern there is that i mean like neo for I would say that Neo brand is a random modern type garbage that you see every once in a while, yeah. right? Where it's just totally uninteractive, has one strategy, and if you can tame it priest them, they lose. Right, right. And and that's and that's a deck that like a year ago we thought might need to be banned. So like the Dogma combo deck this hates on, because yeah. like the person creatures can't come back. Yeah, and like the fact that like there are active decks that are just C play that this is good against, like Dredge, where you're just like I would say you're 50-50 in a given tournament just to play against Dredge no matter what. <laughs> right. That's the thing is like in in a lot of these decks, because it's white, you can play Rest in Peace in any of those decks, but it's the flexibility of Containment Priest that you're getting, right? Like is Rest in Peace better against Dredge than Containment Priest? Certainly, because they can't conflagrate it. They can't, you know, uh, kill it with lightning bolts that they right. may have boarded in or whatever, right? Like, but... Like, it's just the flexibility that you get. Right. You can use this card against Dredge, but you can also use it against Neoform. You can use it against decks that are trying, like, does this shut, this shuts parts of Urza down too, even, right? There, to an extent, because it can't. Right, because Urza, you, Urza, you cast the spell either from your, from your the top of the deck, right? Library or from Exile. I don't remember which one, but either way, it gets stopped by. It stops uh, Urza's containment yeah. I don't know that you would board this in against Urza because yeah, yeah, the yeah. Urza deck typically have so many ways to draw cards. Like Urza's ability is a last resort for them. It's right, not. That's fair. Um, all right. Next. Uh, and one, one other thing I was going to say is I feel like there's also a good chance that this card might help push like Eldrazi and Taxes a tier higher. Like now, this card plus Eldrazi Displacer is a pretty. Uh, Brutal lock against creature based decks. That's spicy. And, I love that. That's spicy. And there's already Flicker Wisp too. And um, like we we know we're getting some more good. There there might be a mono white Eldrazi and Taxes deck that this main deck's against. And now your main deck have hate against like random decks like Dredge, but it's also playing into what your deck is trying to do. Right, right. And, and for creature, for like. For decks that want to have a tutor ability to find a creature, this is a fine one to find just to have in the main deck, right? Like, it's bad, kind of, in those decks, because those decks are right now classically tutoring for creatures and putting them to play with stuff like Quarter Calling and, and um, Collective Company. But if there's an Eldrami's Call version of that, or even something like Elves that's maybe playing it. Yeah, I think you're right about the meta call, though, right? Because if you're playing against Neobrand this card is just going to beat them. So you don't care if it hoses some of your cards, you just court of calling for it one time and then you win the game. Right. But you know, if you're boarding this in against like dredge, they can kill it. And like, it turned, you know, and it, it be sitting in play, hosing you while they stock their graveyard. And then they like conflagrate it and win or something. Right. Yeah. I mean, so maybe it's not worth it there. It just depends on like what you're seeing and what, like, is this card going to be impactful enough that you don't mind some of your, your spells? Yep. Uh, next card, Spark Hunter Masticore. Three mana for a 3-4 Manticore. Uh, as an additional cost to cast this spell, discard a card. Protection from Planeswalkers. Uh, one mana, Spark Hunter Masticore deals one damage to target Planeswalker. Uh, three mana, you may... It gains indestructible until end of turn. 
We were talking about this before the cast started, and if you are a Patreon, uh, you can check that out. Actually, in fact, this is a great moment to thank the nobles of House Modern. So uh, our Patreon in general, uh, thank you guys so much. You're the reason we're able to do this podcast. You help Marshall exist <laughs> uh, to continue editing and getting all the card art. You make it so all the technology we've been able to have during COVID. Um, special thanks to the nobles of House Modern. Cam Genie. Andrew Kelso, Brandon S. Russell, Pinky's up. Thank you so much for helping support the podcast as nobles. Um, but during that moment, uh, we kind of talked about uh, the Spark Hunter Masticore, and um, I think it's borderline. Like in some ways, it's really strong, right? Because you can eventually protect it. Its its body is on curve. It's lightning bolt proof. Um, and it like hates on stuff like Teferi. And if you're trying to deal with ways to stop blue white control decks that have planeswalkers, this is a card that does a lot of the work for you to do that. On the other hand, if they remove it, you've just discarded a card, which is really big feel bads. Um, unless I guess you're taking advantage of that discard effect. But in modern right now, I don't think too many decks like, like gaining extra advantage from discarding isn't the strongest thing you can be doing. I'm definitely going to play this in, like, random formats just because I can take advantage of that discard, but I don't know if Modern is the best home for it. Um, what are your guys' thoughts? I think that if you cast this on turn three and your opponent, like, kills it for one to two mana, like, if they have an Abrupt Decay or if they have a Fatal Push with Revolt or even a Path to Exile, this card looks pretty heinous because you just, like, got two for one and you're behind on mana. But I think that if you can get this into play without casting it, like if you can Aether Vial this in, it looks a lot better. You Aether Vial it in at the end of their turn, you perhaps have mana untapped to activate it right away or make it indestructible, and then you untap, you have even more mana, right? Like if you Aether Vial this into a Jace or a Teferi 5 or something, I mean, that Planeswalker is like super duper dead. Right. Um, then you're protected from like future Planeswalker activations of like a Jace minus or a Teferi minus or something, um, either Teferi minus. And it can become indestructible to to hedge against sweepers. It's just like it's so 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 bad against Path to Exile and like like the decks that are playing the most Planeswalkers are Blue White Control, like you mentioned, and Jund. And I think it's good ish against both of them if you don't have to discard a card. But if you do have to discard a card, like both of those decks are just playing a ton of removal and they're just going to like wipe it off the face of the earth before it does anything. Mm -hmm. And you discarded a card. But if you can get it into play without discarding a card. I think it might have some legs. And I think, like, in the worst case scenario, you do have to discard a card, but if you're able to do it late enough in the game, which the nice thing about both of those decks is, like, this is... I can wait for turn six against Jund. Jund's not killing me before that moment, and if I top deck this and have the mana to protect it against any type of... Like, make it indestructible, at that point, Jund doesn't have a way to kill this, and it eats two of its major threats, if not three, depending on what... version of Liliana they're playing. Um, but yeah, I mean, it depends I, on your deck. If you're, yeah. if you're like an Aether Vile deck specifically, you have tons of stuff to sack to Liliana. If this is good, you don't sack it. If it's bad, you sack it, right? right? And in more casual worlds, the Spark Hunter Massacre plus Chandra uh, from War of the Spark combo is sweet. <laughs> I'm excited to take advantage of it at some point. you like to explain the combo? So, so uh, War, the, War of the Spark Chandra's static ability is if it takes damage, it does that damage to target player or planeswalker. And so uh, Spark I think it's if a loyalty counter is removed. If it's a loyalty, yeah, if it's a loyalty counter is removed. Because when she, when she ultimates, she does seven damage to something at the same time of drawing you a bunch of cards. And she's like a very 
decent card advantage engine, right? She does. She has the the Exile Top Guardian Library. You can cast it till end of turn ability. Um, but you can target her with Spark Hunter to do the da- like to cause that damage to happen while drawing cards every turn. So she it has like a mini Boros Reckoner effect top end to like basically lightning bolt or burn out your opponent one to one or fireball your opponent. There we go. Uh, yeah, it's very casual though. <laughs> Not. I mean, a thing that you could do in standard for the next three weeks though, or three months, right? Yes, but I don't think it like is something that excites me even in standard. Plus, Chandra mitigates the discard effect because you get to draw cards with her. <laughs> uh, all right, next card on the list, uh, and we can skip. A, oh, I, I want to talk about it. We got Rin and Sari, the inseparable one, red, green, white, legendary creature, dog cat. Whenever you cast a dog spell, create a 1-1 green cat creature token. Whenever you cast a cat spell, create 1-1 white dog creature token. Uh, Red, green, white, tap it. Ren and Sari, inseparable, deal damage to any target equal to the number of dogs you control. You gain life equal to the number of cats you control. Is this the tribal spell that cat decks needed all along? At four mana. Nope. Shaking heads. Are we excited that dogs are in magic? Yeah. Yes. Very excited about dogs being in magic. <laughs> and I, of course, will be looking forward to playing some commander with Ren and Stimpy, but uh I do think I uh I do think this is the best this could be the best cat commander in Better than a Rabo? I think so. pardon me feel yeah, maybe. I Most mean the command zone is busted. I That's think true. I think they are two different kinds of decks. That's fair. I think um, this is more generic. Because Arabo doesn't necessarily need you to go wide. Like, Arabo is like, build your own Voltron. Whereas Ren and Stimpy want you to play a lot of little little homies. Um, but, like, they also combo with things like... Um, what's the lion? The blink lion? White mane? White Mane Lion. Uh, they combo with White Mane Lion in Commander that I'm pretty excited about. Like, you could just make a dog every turn. Like, White for, for two mana, you can make as many dogs. Yeah. Because, wait, I think it's interesting. The way they built it for Commander is Dog, the less supported tribe, is the one that his damage ability is tied to. Right. And Cats, the more supported, is the one you gain life. So you need a way to put Dogs in a play. But luckily, you get Dog Buddies when you play Cats. So you can still just play Cats mate, and think of him as sort of like a uh, Edgar Markov that has to be in play for its Eminence ability to work. But then you're just playing a Cats deck and filling up your... Right, uh, and, and it's, more, dogs. it's definitely there is a larger variety of good cat cards out there than hound cards now known as dogs. I'm so glad hound is ba- gone. Work. It's confirmed hound is gone. Right, there are no more hounds in Magic. Loving that. All I hounds so. become dogs. Sweet, loving it. Um, all right, next um, card. Oh. I do think it's interesting when you cast changelings, you get one of each token. Ooh, changeling in modern four drop. <laughs> There's one good changeling, right? There's the one drop one that's like sees play now because it's like a ninja and then, so it takes advantage of those. And yeah, uh, eliminate is the next card. Black one, destroy target creature or planeswalker with converted mana cost three or less. So is this better than like what decks want to play something that's not abrupt decay? Slash Assassin's Trophy. Like, it, it's kind of like, is there a black decks that aren't Jund and or 
like Grixis, I guess, right? Like, is this better than Dreadbore? Is this better than... I think it might. there might be, like, I think Esper might think about this type of card. I think straight-up blue-black decks will. Mono-black decks actually love this card, I think, and this is a staple in those in some ways. There's not a lot of those, but 8-Rack will be around forever. Um, it's like a Mardu deck could play this. I mean, pretty much if you're black but not green, I think this could be a consideration for you, but yeah. it is somewhat kind of meta-dependent. I mean, we've pretty much never seen anybody play Smother. So the Planeswalker thing has to be relevant. Which the Planeswalker thing is. isn't relevant. I don't think that like Smother is a sleeper hit that we were just missing on. But like, in but modern, I do think Liliana the Veil, three fairy, and red and six, being able to nuke them for two mana does make me feel like I'd be okay with playing that over Fatal Push in certain and, and not in certain scenarios or alongside Fatal Push. And you'll you'll randomly also see like uh, a um, what's the Jeskai Planeswalker's name that I'm forgetting. Narset, Narset. Royal Scions. Yeah, no, Narset. Yeah, Royal Scions. Narset. Um, there's like a lot of random three drop planeswalkers that do see some play, just not as staples. But then you add the layer of sometimes Domri. Yeah, is that what you said? Sound like you said that you broke up, but cool. Yeah, Domri. Um, so yeah, I think I think there's a and Gideon of the Trials. Gideon's like half. Uh, yeah, there's love Gideon of the Trials. One day that card will see more play. All right, next card. Uh, we can talk about... Oh, yeah, we'll talk about it. Gadrick the Crown Scourge. Two and a red legendary creature dragon flying. Gadrick the Crown Scourge can't attack unless you control four or more artifacts. It's a 5-4. Uh, at the beginning of your end step, create a treasure token for each non-token creature that died this turn. This is a very aggressively costed flying 5-4. It has a requirement. That requirement is not that hard to pull off. So, to me, it feels most comparable to... Covetous Dragon. In Soul Artifact? Not Covetous Dragon. But Gargoyle. It is... Lothwain Gargoyle. It is trying to be Covetous Dragon, but playable. Which I don't... I think it is, but... Or more playable than Covetous Dragon. Covetous Dragon was a house back in the day. Marshall will tell you. Probably. Maybe. Oh, yeah. Kai Boudet, man, became the world champion thanks to Covetous Dragon. Mono... Mono Brown Red, as they called it. Back when artifacts were brown. And broken. Yeah. So, thoughts? Seeing play? This card? Is this better than Insole Artifact? I think this is better than Insole Artifact in a lot of places. I think that the, like... Uh, Insole Artifact can be cast on... Turn two. Like a turn two onto an Ornithopter and start punching into your opponent if you drop the Ornithopter on turn one. So, hasty 5-5. Okay. All right. Yeah, the, I think the dream within Soul Artifact is that you can cast it on turn two. Uh, but also, like, yes, it always has haste. And this thing costs one more mana and never has haste. Um, are we going to talk about Pack Leader? Uh, it's a two-mana lord for dogs. It'll be good if they cool. print good dogs. Next. <laughs> uh, da, da, da. I don't think we're going to talk Atlanta World Elf. And they printed the... They, I mean, we've got Isamaru, Hound of Conda. And they also printed this this like baby this baby dog this cute little wiener dog that has like sacrifice to make something indestructible super adorable. Yeah, we're, we're three cards um, in, <laughs> almost almost there. Deck builds itself. But, uh, okay, uh, seasoned Hollow Blade one and a white human warrior. Discard a card. Tap Hollow Blade. It gains indestructible till on a turn three one. It so. 
This is most comparable to what's the dinosaur one? Not that it's a vampire. The, the Adondo Vanguard. Adondo Vanguard. I was never going to get that card. There's so many vowels and letters that go together that aren't. I mean, I would say in formats where Adonto Vanguard is legal, uh, this is enough worse that I don't think you would ever play it over Adonto Vanguard, which doesn't get played in modern, really. So you think the discard ability, because from my perspective, the discard ability is worse until it's better, right? Like paying life is always bad. Welcome to magic. It's bad unless you have a death right or a, a, a death shadow, I guess. <laughs> If you are a deck that's in the market for playing a two mana three one, you probably are aggressive, and therefore cards in your hand are much more valuable than your life than four life. So, but like in decks like Legacy, where the one mana white zero four saw play just because it had discard for free on a one drop. There's no one drops that do that, but there are only two two drops. Like there's a pretty minimal even amount of two drops. Does this offer a discard outlet that's also an aggressive threat and possibly playable on its own, two decks that then want to be able to discard something that they reanimate later. I think if you're comboing, one mana is so much less than one than two mana, like more than like two mana is double. Mm-hmm. Okay. It is double. <laughs> Marshall, <laughs> any thoughts on the comparison with Tireless Tribe? Thank you. That was the card I was thinking of. I mean, if you wanted to combine it, compare it, you should compare it to like Wild Mongrel slash Noose Constrictor, right? Sure. Like, if that's the comparison we're making. So this is like some weird hybrid of that. Like, would you want a Wild Mongrel crossbred with an Adanto Vanguard? And I can't think of any deck that wants to do that. But if there is a deck that wants it, that can't play... Noose Constrictor or what have you. Maybe if they print circular logic into modern, that's the secret. Do you think that's going to happen? I mean, I don't think, I don't know if, do you think circular logic is safe for modern? I feel like it could be. I think it would be, but I don't think you'd be playing blue-white probably. I think there are probably other colors that could do more with circular logic than white. It's cool that Faith Feathers is getting reprinted. I didn't see that. Limited All-Star. Yeah, I mean, uh, nothing to do with modern. Uh, C- yeah, this this that's printing all the answers to the War of the Spark Planeswalkers right before they rotate. Well, that's what they. That's like a that's like a, a thing that they do with corsets. Corsets always come out and like print out extra powerful things for the sets that there were before, but also some answers. So like last year there was the dinosaur two drop that made like all dinosaurs cheaper and they did damage when they entered play or something insane. And there was a bunch of super enrage enabler dinosaur. Yeah. And then there was like a bunch of vampires that like Sorum was printed so he could cheat in all the five drop vampires into play. Like that's what corsets do. They like bump up the strategy that's rotating while also offering ways that fight against it that were both too powerful to have for two years or too risky to be around for an entire year. But if, you know, if standard is overrun by a vampire deck for three months, no one's going to lose sleep. Uh, see the truth. Uh, one blue sorcery. Look at the top three cards of your library. Put one of those cards into your hand and the rest on the bottom of your library in any order. If the spell was cast from anywhere other than your hand, put each of those cards into your hand instead. So this is a two mana draw three. Uh, if you can snap cast your mage it, or if you can cast a it. <laughs> or also you can Chandra uh, so. 
Baby Chandra does it. Baby Chandra does it. Underworld um, Breach. Underworld Breach does it. Underworld Breach is probably the scariest thing with this card. Yeah, it's always the scariest thing. It's Yogmas Will. This is my favorite card that got spoiled because there's like some other off the wall stuff you can do with it, right? Like obviously casting it from your graveyard is like level one strats. But like you started <laughs> to say, Under Torch of Defiance can cast it off the top. You can like collected conjuring it. You guys remember that's a card? I mean, maybe this will be the card that pushes Collected Conjuring into playability. You can cascade into this, and it's, like, potentially more playable than Ancestral Vision in Modern. Like, Ancestral Vision has proven itself to be a little bit too slow, but this is fine. Like, if you draw this later in the game and you need an answer immediately, this will find you an answer immediately from your hand. But you can also just put it in your deck and cascade into a blood with Bloodbraid Elf or something. Yeah. Um, wow. It also... Um, what's, the, what's the enchantment? You can cast cards from the top of your library. Future Sight. Future Sight, which was printed in Modern Horizons in the Modern, so that's like a thing. Now, I think that's also too slow, but there's definitely a lot of cool places to put this card, to draw three cards off of it, versus having it be in your hand. And it's fine in your hand. It's also the worst card ever to spell Queller. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You just don't do that. Don't spell well this. Don't do that. Yeah. See, like your opponent your opponent can get this off of Robber of the Rich in standard. Like if people play this in standard with Vadrock or something. <laughs> and you're oh like, man. Robber of the Rich. That's <laughs> rough. That is rough, hilarious. kids. Yeah. Um, I've been thinking a lot more about standard and historic because I've been playing so much arena during quarantine. So now I'm like getting the standard interactions. I actually like didn't even think about the Chandra effect though, and that's like kind of super dope. Just like playing rug, like value, like a rug Bloodbraid Elf deck that plays like one of those Chandras or two of those Chandras and having them in there, that's a lot of value. Some type of blue moon deck where you would be in the market for like finding specific pieces, but then also like Chandras in your deck. Right. And and blue moon's great because like Chandras exiling the second blood moon or if you exile the first one accidentally and then you have to find the second one you're fine because they're you don't want two but you are playing four of them um that's sweet yeah and and in blue moon you're playing snapcasters as well so right. you have like multiple ways to cast this because like you can't always hope to to luck it off the top of your deck with chandra unless you have like mm -hmm. also jason play or something and at that point you're winning who cares right. about any you're drawing but <laughs> um <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you can snap it back. You can just cast it on turn two to look for a Blood Moon for turn three, or you can cast it on turn two to look for whatever your like combo win is that you're typically playing in Blood Moon, Blue Moon. But uh, yeah, speaking of Chandra, the next card, Chandra Incinerator, five and one red creature elemental six six. This spell costs X less to cast, where X is the total amount of non combat damage dealt to your opponents this turn. Trample whenever a source. You control deals non-combat damage to an opponent. Chandra's Incinerator deals that much damage to target creature or planeswalker that player controls. Um, Riftbolt makes this card real, real inexpensive on turn two. <laughs> I feel like this oh, card yeah. is a little win more to me. It is very cool. It's not that hard to get this into play on like turn two just with Lightning Bolt. Or on turn... What's the... Turn three would be on Lightning Bolt. I guess you have to play Ripple to get it there. Two Lightning Bolts or Lava Spikes on turn three, and this. So you, oh yeah, so if you turn one Rift Bolt suspended, 
No, no, literally, literally, this can be in play on turn two if you Rift Bolt on turn one and then bolt them on turn if two. If you Rift Bolt and I mean, it is significant that that is a huge... That is a huge threat that you could theoretically get in the combo deck that is Burn. Uh, that you could get in on turn two with luck and turn three easily. And that's turn three where you were also doing other things. Like it wasn't just, I committed my entire turn three just to getting this into play. And, and then it's a creature that can't be fatal pushed. It can't be uh, abrupt decayed. It can't be burned out by really anything. It can't be uh, dismembered um, or, you know, the new spell we were talking about. And it and it does mitigate the card disadvantage that you run into if you have to burn one of their creatures that are in play, right? Like the ability to get rid of their hate hate bear creatures or, or things that are in your way to block by doing three damage to their face and then three damage to that creature gets you draws you a card basically, right? Like this is drew you a card either the damage it's dealing and the damage that you were able to spend not have to spend a card killing that creature. I think that like the fact that burn empties its hand very quickly and this is such an atrocious top deck is what kind of turns me off it like it's an opening hand card right where you like describe your opening hand and you're like how can i ever lose but like if it's not in your opening hand it's like pretty miserable and it's also not like winning the game on the spot if it is in your opening hand like obviously ley lines are playable right because if you have ley line in the void in your opening hand it's going to win the game but this is not the type of card where if it's in your opening hand, you win the game. You just have like a very strong sequence of plays if it's in your opening hand. And then if it's not in your opening hand, e like if you draw this on turn four when you've like gone like Goblin Guide into Burn Burn into, you know, Eidolon Burn or something. And you have like one card left in hand and you draw this, you're like, oh. Cool. Next card, Chandra Heart of Fire. Uh, I only want to talk about this for one thing. Three red red. Discard your hand, then exile the top three cards of your library until end of turn you may play cards exiled this way. Uh, plus one, plus one. Charge a heart of fire. Deals two damage to any target. Minus nine. Search your graveyard library for any number of written sorcery cards. Exile them. You may cast them this turn. Add six mana. Comes out on five. Uh, honestly, I want to talk about mostly because I've been waiting for a Chandra to have a plus one shock since 2008. And they finally made that a card. <laughs> There's been so many. Chandra's come a long way from her <laughs> initial card. Normally, I would say it's two bad odds on a card you never play, but you actually have a Chandra Tribal Commander yeah. deck, yeah. so you will definitely play it. Absolutely, but we'll it's buy the not a card that I think is very exciting outside of a Chandra Tribal. Deck. No, yeah, yeah, it's it's. I, I'm not looking forward to playing this in modern anytime soon. Just the fact that, like, finally, there's a Chandra with plus one, do two damage to any target. Um, it's really elegant. Weird. Elegant. Should have been what's been going on since the first one. Uh, which I learned uh, its main version of seeing play was John Sideboard's Decay of Bane Slayer Angel, also reprinted in this set. So there's that going for it. <laughs> not not a dragon, so <laughs> nor a demon. So that this Chandra does not kill Bane Slayer Angel. That's true. Is there anything is is what's the best removal spell for Bane Slayer Angel in standard right now? Heartless Act, the same as the best removal spell for almost everything. <laughs> Fair. Okay, there you go. All right, thank you guys. Uh, so that's it for today. We're going to continue. We'll, we'll continue with, uh, to give you a sneak preview. We'll, we'll start next week with Boss Riquet, um, the new white planeswalker uh, with the dope axe, bow, and arrow sword, uh, and sand magic. Uh, but until then, uh, thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, also, make sure to check out next week. Uh, we're we're going to, the hot take that we normally release Monday or Tuesday will be our preview card. So stay tuned on Monday. Uh, we will have our preview card episode. 
or 15 minute hot take preview card reveal. Uh, it's a it's a dope one. Make sure to follow. Uh, I'm at Kess Wiley. Uh, Marshall and Michael, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Marsh Unfocused, or you can follow our production company at Time Traveler Pod for Time Traveler Media. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Dudard, D-U-D-A-R-D-D. Uh, and you can find the podcast at the MM Cast and our uh, compatriot who is unable to make it today, Ben Bateman at Ben Bateman Media on all things from Instagram to Facebook. He also has a new YouTube channel, Nerds in Suits. He's doing like he like will play a song where he sings the songs of the movies you love with Ben's handsomely singing songs. <laughs> uh, also, it's funny that like. Every time he talks about this, because I, I haven't gotten to watch it yet, but every time I just for some reason think Jurassic Park and then imagine just Ben going. Oh, that actually, which that, yeah. I would watch that video and like yeah, it. Absolutely. Ben, <laughs> uh, if you listen to this, uh, you need to record that. Um <laughs> uh, so uh, also make sure to check out our Patreon we mentioned it earlier but it is how we make this podcast happen with your guys' help and support it's a podcast we're able to do um, and all the extra content that we've been able to push out uh, also just make sure to stay tuned we're going to release more content I've been releasing commander deck techs I've been releasing uh, random op-ed stuff straight to camera uh, so obviously re- uh, subscribing to the YouTube channel I think the little bell will let you know when just random content comes out with no schedule behind it it just does what it wants um, and by it, I mean me, um, <laughs> also streaming, make sure to check that out on Twitch, uh, twitch.tv slash Cass Wiley and Cass Wiley everywhere else. And thanks so much for listening and make sure once again, check it out next week, uh, preview card. Uh, and then we'll be continuing the review of M21, uh, at the end of the week on Friday. Thank you so much. And thank you to the Patreons as well. Have a good night, everybody. This has been a production of Time Traveler Media, sending podcasts into the future.